Good morning, everyone, and God bless you. I pray that everyone has been able to make the transition and by the greater number of the number of you that all of you have been able to make it here this morning, this is Sunday service at Nation's Harvest. God bless you. God bless you and God bless you. This is the day that the Lord has made and you and I together, collectively, all of us, we will rejoice. We will rejoice and we're going to just be glad, not just now, but all day long. As a matter of fact, I hope that the enemy is served notice right now today, the first day of this week, March the 3rd, 2024, that he will know that not only today will we rejoice, but for the remainder of this week. I want him to be served notice that this is going to be the week of empowerment. This is going to be the week of breakthroughs, that this is going to be the week that leads to the rest of my life where what has held me in bondage before will not hold me again. You ought to shout and praise God this morning, wherever you are and however you have joined us this morning you should right now just rejoice and be glad I get excited when I think about not only what God is doing for me but I think about what God has in store for me the plans of the Lord for me in my life is that I should prosper and that in all things that I will be the recipient of his good will oh well I'm Don that's my name you probably already know that, and I am here today to bring forth a message that fathers your knowledge about the redemption of Jesus Christ. That is the alputrosis, alputrosis, which simply means that God has a plan from the very creation of man to purchase him back. God's plan for salvation and God's plan for redemption involves the complete removal of Satan's work. You better hear me this morning. Alpatrosis, every work, everything that Satan set in motion to destroy, deter, and otherwise cause you to be deviated from the plan that God has for your life, the plan of redemption does away with it all. Not only in heaven, but also in earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28 declares it best. But today I'm going to zero in on a story that is from John chapter 4, where I have been probably now for two months, if not even longer. And I will continue today. Yes, I will. Redemption refers supremely to the work of Christ. It's what Jesus does, and I want to show you in, a, in the life of a single person that is a woman that is called, not by name, but the woman of Samaria who Jesus meets at the well. That's who I'm going to be talking about today. And uh, we're going to get a word of prayer, and I'm going to get right down to that uh, as we get ready for Sunday service. As I say, I hope that everyone made it here this morning um, without... A lot of, um, I don't know, without having to deal with a lot of problems with getting here. Um, I see that I'm joined by our family in uh, Florida. I see that you're here, Johnson's, and I'm sure that there are others here 
as well. Um, so I want to start off by saying a happy birthday to Samuel Hearth on March the 1st. And I don't know if they were able to um, make the transition, but um, Samuel, happy birthday to you. He turned 89 years old on March the 1st. Now, as I've told you before, and I'm going to continue to do that, that is my my double first cousin, which gives us genetically the blood of biological brothers, my mother and her sister married, my dad and his brother. And so that makes us double first cousins. Genetically, it's going to show that Samuel's my brother. He's 89 years old. He is only a couple of years from where my mother made it in this life, as we know it, at 92 years old. So, my God, I'm looking at the possibility and the probability of some longevity. So I'm going to just pace myself in the Lord, and I'm going to prepare myself for being here to do great works all the days of my life, all of the days of my life, as I dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. And I pray that you plan to do the same. I would, um, each of you um, I, uh, would have something to say in the in the chat area as we did attempt to I'm seeing the Johnsons uh, in Orlando Florida and I would that others would um, say something if you're here and that will give me some meter to measure that we have successfully started the transition and I know it's going to take uh, some time to get everyone in. Uh, I see Mrs. Hearth. Good morning. Cassie Laverne. Good morning to you, sweetheart. I see April Tucker. That's Tucker. She's here. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, looks like looks like we're here. Looks like we're we're making it here. Everyone is making it here um, this morning. That's a good thing. All right, let's have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move into the interior of today's message. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I think maybe I should increase the volume just a little bit. That should help there. All right. Uh, yeah. And if you have any other issues, maybe you can, uh, you can send some message in to me, and I'll try and get it. Yeah, I'll try to respond. Let's have a word of prayer. Eternal and wise God, we thank you collectively and individually for everything that you've done to make this very moment possible. We're grateful, oh Lord, our God, for um, you working in our lives so that we can sensually sensually see the operation of your powerful hand in our life also god we thank you for working behind the scenes and those are the things that you have done that we have not even we are not even able to to see or to know but we know that within the parameters of the things that you do behind the scenes that all of those things are working together to the good so both those things that we perceive and then the things that we 
don't perceive, God, we thank you for them all, good, bad, and indifferent. Now, Lord, we seek a word from you right now and these that have gathered, and I pray, God, that this word would um, become uh, a very important part of their life and that you would be preeminent in their life, supreme and the, the greatest priority in their life. Give us a word from on high uh, and let these words, God, be that which is not only relevant in their life, but God, that it would just be empowering and impactful in their life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, all right. I want to also say this morning, on a note of laughter, uh, to tell that Mr. Chris Johnson, that we saw you in the kitchen this morning, and I'm going to leave that right there. You're supposed to be in bed, um, uh, recovering, so that you can get up and we can go boating and go out um, uh, deep sea fishing. Uh, but I need you to stay uh, as you have been instructed. Um, I, I don't ask me how I know these things, but I just perceive that you are up and about and you're supposed to be being nursed and brought back to health. So, Chris, let's get it together now. Hua. <laughs> okay. All right. So now, uh, now that I've gotten that out of the way, listen, uh, as I said before, I'm going to be dealing with the things that, that I've been working on for some time now. And I'm going to, I will recap on the words that are power terms as it relates to uh, the message that you've been getting over a period of time. Alpatrosis is the same as saying redemption or the purchasing agent or the buying back, the redeeming of mankind uh, through the life and the actions of Jesus Christ. When it comes to redemption, people, you have to understand that there is no place for um, our traditions or our rituals or our religious practices because they are so given to um, social uh, demands, uh, cultural demands, racial demands, uh, and, and religious demands. And, and, and when it comes to redemption, all of the demands that are placed upon us socially and religiously and culturally and racially means that there is going to be some bias and it will not, um, it, it would infringe upon the um, inclusiveness of all in the plan of redemption because um, Jesus, God, our Father, his plan is to restore the world to righteousness and not just uh, some segregated few or some specific race or some specific class or nation. Um, in the creation, we're set up with nations of people um, where God starts 
building families and nations where we knew them as the Hebrews and we knew them as other various nations in different times and in different places. We've heard the, the children of Israel. We've heard of the Babylonians, the Assyrians. We've heard of various nations. We even heard, as God sets up the family, even in Abraham, by the time that we get from Isaac to Jacob, that there are 12 tribes. Um, and, and even before them, with Noah, we see that through his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that they set up all of the nations of the world uh, because it is a repopulation of, of humanities. It is a rebuilding of people from the, very, uh, from the initial creation of mankind in Adam. So backwards and forwards, you see that there are groups, there are classes of people, nations of people, different religious beliefs, uh, uh, societies, and races of people. Redemption uh, is, is hampered whenever um, the plan for redemption is... is um, violated against um, when we attempt to proceed um, through the norms, religious norms and the social norms. Um, we, we even during Black History Month speak of the black church and rightly so, the black experience and it's okay to acknowledge what God, what God has done for us as a race of people, but you cannot permit what you're grateful for in your melanated state become a stumbling block or something that would stop the plan of redemption. So my melanated skin has to be in, my melanated state has to be inside redemption and not attempt to put redemption inside of it. I think that's a good way to put that. So I believe, I believe that in John chapter four, over my now number of years in ministry, time given to study, um, through all of the auspices of homiletics and given all due credence to the theology and every other thing that has been set up to bring us to some sound biblical knowledge, um, all of the apologetics and every other seminary term that there is, of which I'm not a seminarian. Um, I believe that John chapter 4, John chapter 4, where we've been, where Jesus meets this woman at the well, that this is the place where Jesus breaks every social, racial, religious, and cultural norm. I just believe that. For that reason, I'll, I'll stay right here until the Spirit tells me that there are no more stones to turn at this time. I'm going to stay right here until 
I communicate to you something that is going to impact your life and all of the, the every aspect of your life because we are in bondage. You are in bondage in some fashion. We're still in bondage. We're held in bondage by what we have practiced religiously. I had asked earlier that you would prepare for some scriptures in your Bible. One was John chapter 4, and the other is Genesis chapter 9, and the other is Revelations chapter 12. In Revelations chapter 12, in verse number 11, we are told that we are, <clears throat> I'm sorry, that we are, let me make sure that I'm, Revelations chapter 12 and verse number 11, it says, and they overcame him uh, by the blood of the lamb, <clears throat> meaning that they overcame the enemy, they overcame the adversary, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. So, when you get to Revelations chapter 12, we hear of this great wonder that is in heaven. Here's what I we, we hear uh, how the revelator shares with us um, in some apocalyptic presentation, but, and I won't go any, I won't say very much about that at all because my perceptions of the book of revelations is totally different than maybe any other it's not so much the future but what makes it so frightening to us is because it's actually our past um and it speaks more to my past than it does in a, in a serial way serial a repetitious way the recourse or the recycling of my life over and over and over again, seven, 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 seven. And each time I go through the serial or the cycle, I'm brought back to the state of com completion. But what he does in Revelations chapter 12 is he, he makes the statement that the overcoming, the overcoming, the overcoming is by one, the blood of the lamb, and two, by the word of their testimony. Now, the word of my testimony. So I overcome um, whatever adversity it is. I overcome <clears throat> whatever uh, has come against me to obstruct and to delay. Um, I overcome that thing by my testimony. That's powerful. The blood of the lamb I see, but by my testimony, the question is how? That's what I want to answer from John chapter 4. The woman that is at the wells, her life is a narrative. Her life is a story. Um, and the story of her life is made up of her choices in life. 
and the decisions that she's made. Um, my life is made up of a story or a narrative based on the choices that I've made. And the things that I have decided at one time or the other to do. And that's my life. And by way of testimony, when I get ready or prepare to talk about my life, I'm not so happy because there are so many things that were not good. I've made choices in my life um, to do things that were not Christ-like. Also, when it comes to the story of my life, my story is subject to others telling the story of my life. And once my story is told by others, the narrative changes. Because now my story is being told through the eyes of someone else and their judgments. The woman at the well tells her story and she tells her story to Jesus. But she doesn't just start telling the story of her life. As remember, when I tell you that the dialogue between the two is so much more metaphoric than it is literal, the well, the vessels, the water, even the husbands. But it, it's still to the reader and to the hearer, like you and I, we're not thinking about the spiritual components to this dialogue. We're thinking about the literal parts. So we just think about the woman coming to the well with a jar to draw water and then we discover that she tells the story of her life about having five husbands. And that's the narrative. Now, here is what happens. Revelations chapter 12, verse number 11. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. In, in John chapter 4 today, I want you to be guided by this thought. Jesus changes the story of this woman's life. Jesus changes the story of this woman's life. I want you to just kind of let that soak in. Due to this woman's testimony, as she tells the story, I got five husbands. She has a life-changing moment when she tells the story of her life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one who changes the narrative. This is a life-changing moment. And it's so powerful 
that when she hears how Jesus changes the narrative, she leaves her water jar and returns to the town to tell the people about this man named Jesus. I hope you're able to, to stitch this together. Upon the life-changing moment, the woman left her jar, returned to town to give a testimony. Upon the life-changing moment, the woman returns to the town with a whole different story about her life because of her encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus has quoted her no scriptures. He has taken her through no Bible stories. Um, and even at this point, there has been no baptism. Uh, there has just been a conversation and there has been an outpouring of the word, both Logos word, the word, and also the written word. Jesus, the word, poured into her as a water of life, revolutionizes this woman's life. She came to the well with one story, but when she leaves, her testimony has now changed. Because when she leaves, her testimony is about a man. And I think it's interesting that she leaves her water jar and on a spiritual level, she did not need her water jar any longer because she had tasted of a living water that changed the narrative of her life. So that vessels that she used in her former life are now unnecessary, unimportant, and they have some volatility to them. They're just risky and unreliable. Whew. Oh, my God. I want to unfold this as neat as I can, people. She leaves this thing behind, and I think that is so interesting because her testimony has changed because of her encounter with Christ. Now, She's overcome because the burdens of what she went with, she doesn't leave with those burdens. My testimony is refreshing. It's renewing, very vitalizing, very life-giving. And though I know that there is a story that you know and a narrative that you've given to my life, but my testimony now, after my encounter, says that I know a truth and now I'm made free. Not set free, but made free. 
I'm not placed or put so that I can be replaced or repositioned. But I am stable. I am permanently where I am now. I am made free. Made free. The emancipation, the proclamation, the days of old set me free as a black man just to be later incarcerated, later to be re-enslaved both in my conversation and in my mind. But on paper, I was set free. I don't have to worry about the setting. I don't have to worry about some emancipation based on some legalities of a nation's charter because by the word of God, I am made free through the truth because he is the one who changes the narrative of my life, meaning every choice that I've made now and decision that has been decided upon prior to my encounter with him. I am no longer held bondage. Oh my God. I am no longer held captive or am I in bondage by those things. I think that religiously, I think that socially where church involvement is concerned. We're so excited about getting to certain specifics that we teach on the day of Pentecost, a baptism in a name that is stated during the ritual of a baptism, denominations, and other cultural practices, I think that we get so excited about the sensation of these motions and these notions that we forget about the power of redemption. Oh my God, we're so in a hurry to get someone's statement and to say a prayer and to get someone pass through all of these um, practices, do this, do this, and do this, and now we judge that you're saved, that we forget that until someone has an experience with Christ, until someone has that encounter, until what happened to the woman at Samaria happens to me, you, and everyone else, the plan of redemption has not been imparted until we have an encounter with Christ. Doesn't matter how many names you call, how many baptisms you undergo, how many denominations you've attended, regardless of whether you want to embrace the Hebrews
practice, Islamic practice, any other practice from Catholicism to Hinduism, it doesn't make any difference what you want to set up until Jesus changes the narrative. You are not going to have a testimony that will permit you to overcome the choices and decisions that you've made in your life <laughs> that basically have kept you and keeps you in bondage. The woman said, I've got a new testimony. And due to this woman's testimony, the townspeople, listen to this. She says, come and see a man. Her testimony, her story is so powerful that the town people came to see Jesus themselves. You've had handbooks from your churches. You got handbooks. You got new member studies. You got new member classes. Come to the men's meeting, come to the women's meeting, come to Sunday school, come to this and come to that and come to this. But have you ever been able to just go out to just one single person and give your testimony? Your experience with Christ. Because I believe when it says she left this jar and she went back to her town's people, it was due to this woman's testimony. The word that has been placed inside of her that everyone in that town was subjected to her compelling testimony. You need to write that down. I need a compelling testimony. Don needs a compelling testimony. I told you I had an experience a couple of weeks ago. I'm standing at the mercantile, and the gentleman walks in, of whom I've seen some several months, many times. And he says, weren't you a pastor or aren't you a pastor? I can't remember if he said, aren't you or were you? But I did hear the word pastor. Now, I've seen you several times before in the store. You come in regularly, and you get coffee. I don't know where you heard it. I don't know where you got it from, but you address me and you say, Pastor. Immediately, I sidestep, disregard, and disallow him addressing me as a pastor. Because for whatever reason, God has sent him to make inquiry of me I do not want pastor to interfere, infringe upon what God has for this young man that has now addressed me. You may not get that. It simply means that you haven't come to a level of maturity to understand that if I had have responded to the accolade, then the response that I give him based on whatever he's about to ask me or of me is going to be reduced and watered down by the idea that 
I, that the pastor responded to him. When he's looking for something from God and not from a pastor, here's my response. What is it that I can do for you? And his response, I just really need prayer this morning. Now, he needs prayer. Now, this is, this is me. This is Don now. However he found that out, he chose that time, a time that he has a need, when he, as he's been in there so many other times before, he could have just said, can you pray for me? But now there is something that causes him to believe or think that if I'm a pastor that something greater or something more is going to happen because I'm a pastor. No. Greater more is going to happen because he believes. Now, this may not be for you. And if you're listening to me, you can blast me if you choose. But, of course, you know that's going to be a wasted bullet. Um, for me, I've been postured and positioned in a place through my experience to know that too much weight is placed on religious, cultural, race, racial norms. Socially, we've, we're getting, we're, we're stepping over our own feet. And what people really need from God, they can't get it because we're resting too much. And maybe if it wasn't too much, it wouldn't be so bad, but it's just too much. It's not important that you address me or you recognize me. And while I'm there, I may as well go to Peter who denied Christ. If they had him just ask him the question and not ask him, aren't you one of the disciples of Christ? Now that's an accolade. If he had a sidestep that, maybe he could have prevented denying Christ. Yeah. The woman goes back with a compelling testimony. I hope you're hearing it. She goes back with a compelling testimony. She goes back with a compelling testimony. I was just trying to see if anybody was saying anything. <laughs> and when she goes back with this compelling testimony, all of the people or many of the people in the town believed. Due to the woman's testimony, the town people came to see Jesus and you look in John chapter 4, many believed in him. Many believed in him. Jesus gave this woman a new story. Clap your hands and say amen. 
he gave this woman a new story. He didn't give her no church gossip. He didn't give her no drama. He didn't give her any mess. He gave this woman a new story. No longer was this woman known based on social narrative that she had multiple husbands, but rather this woman is the one who introduced her neighbors to the savior of the world. <laughs> I hope you're getting it. Because of her experience with Jesus, this woman will no longer be addressed as an outcast or a hated Samaritan because the story of her life has been changed. Jesus gave this woman a new story. I'm the one who met the Savior at the well. She's now an heir to God's kingdom. Now, I, wanna, I want you to read and you tell me what else happens here. What else was required of her? What else did she need to do? Now, as a result of that, when Jesus gives her a new story of her life, a new story, her life a new story, and he gives all of us a new story, a story of redemption, a story of hope, a story of a, of a future despite our failure. <laughs> no one else can ever inflict upon her the pain of her past because Jesus has changed the narrative of her life. He gives us his story and he invites us to do his work. That's why in John chapter 4, in verse number 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay, and he stayed for two days. Jesus stayed in the town next to Sakar for two days. And because of his words, many more, well, let me say this, many more story of their lives were changed. Everyone now had a testimony. They say it to the woman. Now notice what they do when they go back to the woman. Verse number 42, this is important. Catch this. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Oh, my God. Oh, there's so many messages in this. It's almost where you have to ask yourself today, you have a relationship with Christ because of what who said. 
because of what your pastor said, because of what your denomination is, because of your social norms, your religious norms, your cultural norms, your racial norms, because of what who said. We got a deeper religion because we come up through cotton fields and slave yards when we were singing those songs out of our souls, so we closer to Christ. Are we closer to Christ because we are the founding fathers of this nation and we are from the pedigrees of yonder years back during the kings of great nations or what? We no longer believe just because of what you said. That's what they said to the woman. Oh, we heard what you said, but we needed to hear for ourselves. I've pastored people for a lot of years that were in the congregation and they were a part of the church, but they weren't there because of what I said. <laughs> it based, it, it, and then when I look at it, being there based, I should have asked, you're here because of what who said? Nine times out of 10, it's not because of what he said, he being Jesus, capital H-E. But they were there because of what they said, what he, she, and others said. If I go back to the testimony of my father-in-law from 22 years ago, I have no doubt in my mind of how he came because he said, I want my whole family to know God. Not based upon what you say, but I need them to know what he said. And when he brought me into his household, 22 years later, I'm still telling them, you got to know what he said. All of nations harvest. You may be having a problem with what and the way things are going, but I'm posturing you so that you can have an encounter with him. Now, if you choose to go somewhere else because you just can't get with it, before it's over with, you're still going to have to deal with what he, capital H-E, says. He's the one that's going to have to change the narrative of your life. He stayed there for two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, faith cometh by. We heard the word of faith ourselves. All I got is a sermon. Jesus has a life-changing, life-impacting word. He will place inside of you a cistern, a spring of water, so that you would never thirst again. My sermons will do you good for every bit of till I stop and the organ ceases to play the melodies of the harmony of hoopology. But once it's all over and the shout is done, you will go right back to your melancholy life. 
But all oh, when the Lord puts a word inside of you. Preach, Don. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Redemption is complete. Right here. Now I know you're asking me as I come up on my hour. Why did you have me to go to Genesis chapter 9? I had you to go there and I ain't being messy. But I'm going to show tell you. But I'm picking. I ain't being messy, but I'm picking. Genesis chapter 9, being the person who is a person who says if it ain't relevant, it ain't worth it. I thought it most relevant to go back to the day of Noah. In Genesis chapter 9, verse number 18. Genesis 9 and 18. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 18. I ain't messing, but I am picking. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 18. The sons of Noah went out of the boat. With Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that's his three sons. These three sons of Noah were the ancestors of all the people on the earth. They are large and in charge now. You and I and everybody else, we come down through Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Still, by way, we, we come through Adam by way of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Y'all with me? Verse number 20. Noah, who was a farmer. Let me, let me read this from y'all's translation so y'all don't think I'm making this up. Where am I? Verse number 20. Noah, a man of the soil. Noah, who was a farmer, he proceeded to plant a vineyard. He was the first man to plant a vineyard. That's how that's translated. And he planted a vineyard, and a man don't plant a vineyard unless he intend to drink from that vineyard. You didn't buy a car to park it in the garage. You didn't buy a bed to put it in a room and make it up and nobody lie in it. He built a vineyard to use it. Right? Amen. When he drank some of its wine, after he drank some of his wine, he got drunk. Now let me put let me put some let me put the right pronouns on this. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank 
of the wine, he became drunk, took off his clothes. He didn't take off somebody else's clothes. He took off his clothes after becoming drunk off of his wine that he planted in his vineyard. And he drank his own wine. He didn't send anybody else to the store to get it. There were no stores. He didn't go to somebody else's vineyard to get it. He didn't go in somebody else's pasture. Within the confines of his own land that God blessed him with. Who made the grapes grow? Pick me, God. Good grapes, good vineyard, good wine. His tent. He didn't come to your tent. He went to his tent. And he took off his clothes inside his tent. And he became drunk. Verse 22, not Japheth, not Shem, but Ham. And don't you dare say that this was the black one in the bunch. That has absolutely nothing to do with this word that is written in the Holy Writ. Don't even play with it. Ham, the father of Canaan. You know all of Canaan, Canaan land down in Canaan, all right? Ham's offspring's later going to become Canaan. That's his name. Ham, the father of Canaan, Canaan being a name and a territory. He saw his father naked. Now, he can't see through canvas. That means he opened somewhere, window or door, looking inside his father's tent. Now, you, I'm, let me get finished because I'll be all day if I don't, I'll be, because I will work on this just as long as I've worked on John 4. And his two brothers were outside, but Ham, where is he? He on the inside. Based on the choice that Noah made to plant a vineyard on his own God-given territory, land, God expanded his territory. And he had land to plant what he wanted to plant. Noah didn't live in the projects. Noah didn't live on HUD. Noah didn't get no, no, no subsidized housing. He lived on the blessings of God's expansion of his territory. Planted a vineyard on which God reigned on to make it grow. Because one plant, another water, but only God can add the increase. God blessed him with it. He went in his tent, which means that he used discretion in what he did. But because others want to always know your story so they can change the narrative. There it is. <laughs> Somebody forever wanting to know what they can find out 
about the choices and decisions that you've made in your life, it would be different if it was their life, but it's been your life. But they're always there to change the narrative because they want to be the one that impart Christ. They want to be the one to tell you when you save so that they can unsave you. See, if people don't change the narrative of your life, they can't tell you to go to hell. They've got to they've have some part in giving your testimony so they can dispatch you to hell when they get ready. You know they want a monopoly on heaven. They need more members. They got to keep you humble before the Lord. They got to keep you, they're going to remind you of what you come out of and where you came up out of. When all you want to do is tell them about your experience that you had with the Lord. But you're going to know today. He saw his father naked, and what did he do? Verse number 22, he went to tell his brothers. I got a news flash. His brothers already knew. The difference between Ham and his two brothers is the two brothers were standing guard. Ham was standing ready to expose. You got some people around you that's standing there to make sure that if somebody come that way, that they can only come so far and that's far as they're going to get as long as they're standing around you. They already knew. They knew it when they saw his father plant the vineyard. They were just waiting on their father to offer them something to drink. Oh, I'm telling it like it is. I'm telling it like the way that I live and the way I am with the things that the Lord blessed me with. I'll share it with you. But there are people that will eat your food, wear your clothes, sleep in your bed, and the only reason they're that close to you is because they want to expose you. You got more hams in your life than you do shams and japheth. You got a lot of ham in your life. Huh? And it ain't all lean. It's a bunch of unnecessary fat. And I ain't being messy, but I am picking. When his two brothers outside saw what their brother did, watch how they changed the narrative. They took a garment, and in some translations, or you'll read, it says they went backwards as to not see his condition. Meaning we don't even want to get a glimpse of what the story of his life is. They went backwards to cover. Laid it across their shoulders and then they walked backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they could not see the decisions that he had made. Do you see story? Do you see narrative? Do you see now? where the whole plan of redemption rests and a lot of you are feeling so depressed and burdened and heavy. You see how this woman at the well must have felt because of her husband's as Noah would have felt because of his drunkenness? And preachers will get up today and they will take Noah to the grave about getting drunk 
And you know what I say? Cheers, Noah. Because I've been there and I've had to put up with people just like you did on that boat. And there are a whole lot of people that I'll not say a word is because they're the ones, they're the reasons you're drinking. I don't know why people want to get down on you so much for cussing when it's them who make you cuss. And if you wouldn't act the way you act and do the things you would you do, I wouldn't cuss. No, they ain't making you do it, but I'm going to do it. It's because if I don't do this, I guess I'm just probably just not the pastor like right now, am I? Hmm. Oh, well. Okay, that's it for today. I've made that hour. The narrative has to be changed. You go in and you read that and you dissect that. And I want you to find a relation between the two. Why did he tell that story about Noah getting drunk? Does he plan on getting drunk? Again? It's not the plan. It's just the enjoyment of the blessings of the Lord. But the thing is, I'm in my own space in my own time. Again, I'm going to say, a whole lot of the choices I made in my life, I didn't make them on your, I didn't make them on your watch, and I didn't make them on your pl- in your place. Why are you over here trying to change my narrative? Hallelujah. Bless the holy name of Jesus. And they all said amen. Don't forget to be givers. And I want you to be cheerful givers. I want you to support ministry. And I hope you made it to the platform. I haven't looked at any chat at all today. I have to know him for myself. I know him for myself. Yes, that's right. Amen. I see you all said some things. All right. But I'm going to look forward to being back again next Sunday. And I hope to see you right here. I hope to see you right here next Sunday. And we'll do better next Sunday. I'm going to have to ask others to play this one back. And um, so that we can, um, everybody can, can hear this one. I want everybody to be able to hear this one. Amen. Lord, I just want to praise you forever and ever and ever and ever. I just want to praise you. I want to thank you. For all that you've done for me. Can't nobody do you like Jesus. Can't nobody do you like the Lord. Do you have a story? What is your story? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? Have you sat there at the well for a while with him until you left your vessel behind? Oh my God. What a mighty God we serve. Tell the Lord, Lord, I just want to thank you for all that you've done for me. Hallelujah. I love y'all, but God loves you more, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next Sunday. I love all of you. Dad, William Bill Patterson, I love you. My mother-in-law, Lena Patterson, I love you. My sister, Janet, I love you. I love my loving wife, Cassandra. God bless you, woman of God. You are a strong tower in a time of trouble. Stay strong. Stay in the Lord. Stand by your man. God bless you and may he forever make you even greater in the wisdom that you have already. To Kita, we have enjoyed the service, brother. I enjoyed you all too. 
and you tell my brother Chris that I said, get well. I'm waiting for him to come to Alabama, and as I said, I'm waiting to go so that I can do some sea fishing in Florida. April, and I think I told everybody that I see that I put in some texts. To others, we love you, and we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>